The sermon title this morning is On the Inside Looking Beyond, On the Outside Looking Down. It's based on 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 to, 8 to 12. If you have your Bibles, please turn in them to 1 Peter 1, 8 through 12. We have been learning together that the book of 1 Peter is a precious book in the collection of books which we call our Bible. It's precious for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons it is precious is that it helps us in our suffering. And if we are not suffering now, I hate to be the one to break it to you, but you will be suffering soon. And those of us who are suffering now, bless you, First Peter will have a, a message for you this morning. First Peter will help us to see by looking on the blessings of our salvation in Christ that we can actually sing when we suffer. And some of you who are suffering this morning did just that earlier in the service. You sang. You took your minds off yourself and put them on the Savior and put your minds on salvation. And that's so beautiful and so helpful. The verses that we have before us, verses 8 through 12 of chapter 1, give us two viewpoints. The first viewpoint is the viewpoint of those who are in salvation. And the second viewpoint in the paragraph is the viewpoint of those who are outside of salvation. And so with that overview look, let's get into our verses, starting with verse 8. And though you have not seen him, you love him, though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible, full of glory. The first point in our sermon together today is rejoicing by believers an unseen Savior. Rejoicing by believers an unseen Savior. It is so encouraging to us to notice from this verse 8 that both loving Jesus and believing in Jesus Christ are possible even by those of us persons who have never laid eyes on Jesus. Of course, Ever since our Lord Jesus ascended back to his Father's right hand, no one has been able to literally see him. Yet, many thousands, including we ourselves, can love Jesus, and we can believe in Jesus, and we can greatly rejoice because of Jesus, although we have not seen Jesus. All this reminds me of our Lord Jesus' words after his resurrection and before his ascension. He was speaking to doubting Thomas, and Jesus said to him in John 20, verse 29, Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. That's you. That's me. If you have believed in Jesus Christ without seeing Jesus Christ, then you can know that you are blessed by the one who as yet you have not seen. And so our first point this morning taken from verse 8 is rejoicing by believers an unseen Savior. Let's move on to our second point. Our second point is in verse 9. And let me read verse 9 with you. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So our second point is obtaining by believers an unending pardon. Obtaining by believers an unending 
pardon. You know, outcomes are wonderful things. Outcomes sustain us in difficulties. Outcomes help us to stick with the program. Outcomes give us reward to look forward to. For instance, the outcome of studying hard is a diploma or a degree. For example, the outcome of baking is Christmas cookies or cakes. For example, the outcome of fishing is fish. The outcome of loving and believing in Christ, although not seeing him, the outcome of those things is the salvation of one's soul. Verse 9 again, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Of course, salvation includes, but is not limited to, pardon from sin. And in fact, our pardon from sin is an unending pardon. It lasts for all of eternity. The pardon that Jesus Christ has won for you and me for our sins is unending. Aren't you glad? And heaven involves, among other things, an unending pardon. Let's consider this a little more about how thinking about an outcome of something can help us finish the task at hand before us. Sometimes uh, studying for school or laboring in the kitchen over a baking oven or working in the sun out in a fishing boat at sea requires the consideration of the desired outcomes in order to keep going. Often in our lives, here on earth, we're pressured, we are pained, we are distressed. And so we have to often consider the sure outcome of our salvation in orderly to properly press on. Those are suffering today, would you please hear this? Never get over the wonder of your soul being eternally saved in a salvation that lasts forever and ever and ever and ever. Never get over that wonder. It'll help you through your periods of suffering, of being distressed, of being pressured. It'll help you. Verse 9 again, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Reviewing, point one, rejoicing by believers an unseen Savior. Point two, obtaining by believers an unending pardon. Our third point in the text, verses 10 and 11, gives it to us. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. If our first point is rejoicing by believers an unseen Savior, and second point, obtaining by believers an unending pardon, then our third point is prophesying by prophets an unlikely grace. Prophesying, prophesying by prophets an unlikely grace. You know the Old Testament prophets often predicted that God's Messiah would be coming to Israel. And those prophets knew that Messiah's coming would entirely be due to God's grace towards sinners. 
What those Old Testament prophets, at least in some measure, failed to see, however, was that the coming of Messiah would, the coming Messiah would both suffer and be glorified. If I marked my Bible in verse 11 at the end, I would circle the little connecting word and. As he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It's both and. It's sufferings and glories. It's not one or the other. And yet, in the history of rabbinical thought in Judaism, it is common that some rabbis taught and still teach today that there are two messiahs, a suffering messiah and a ruling messiah, they say, a victimized messiah and a victorious messiah, they say, a gentle messiah and an aggressive messiah. And in this sense, the saving grace of God was somewhat unknown and unlikely in the view of the Old Testament prophets. Some of the rabbis, including rabbis alive today, some rabbis say that you can't understand the Old Testament prophet Isaiah as a book except you understand there are two messiahs. That's their thought. They're wrong, but that's their thought. And these rabbis say that if chapters 1 through 39 refer to a suffering Messiah, then chapters 40 through 66 of the book of Isaiah refer to a second Messiah who is a ruling Messiah. However, praise God, the completed scriptures teach us who study them that there is one Messiah, and his precious name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And at his first coming, he was meek and mild. He was the lamb for sinners slain at his first coming. He was the Savior. But at his second coming, the same Lord Jesus will be strong and combative. He'll be the lion of the tribe of Judah. He will be the sovereign judge. Back to verses 10 and 11. As to this salvation... The prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Still to review, to cement the points in place, rejoicing by believers an unseen Savior. Obtaining by believers an unending pardon. Prophesying by prophets an unlikely grace. And our fourth point from the text, from the first part of verse 12, and it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, and I'll stop midway through the verse. The fourth point I'd like us to see is accepting by believers an understood gospel. Accepting by believers an understood gospel. Of course, the original readers of the letter called 1 Peter only were in a position to read the letter because they were born again. 
because they had been regenerated by the Spirit of God as they trusted the Lord Jesus Christ to be their Savior. The original readership of 1 Peter were brothers and sisters in Christ scattered over the ancient Mediterranean basin because of persecution. The first readers of 1 Peter were Christians. And those original readers of the book, which we call 1 Peter, understood the gospel well enough that they placed individual faith and trust in Christ alone, his person and his finished work, and they were gloriously saved as we have been gloriously saved by trusting the same Savior. They were born-again readers. They were converted readers. They were new creation in Christ readers. Now, I want you to think with me. I want you to think with me about a lost person you care about, a person not yet saved. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a person you go to school with. Maybe it's a person with whom you work. I want you to think about persons that need Christ as Savior that you want to see saved. Have you got that person in mind? Have you got that, those persons in mind? Let me ask you next, how will your lost family or friend be saved? How will your unconverted family or coworker or schoolmate, how will they be saved? I can think of four ways to begin the process. Your lost acquaintance, family member, schoolmate, business associate will be saved by someone serving them. By someone serving them. Even as the Old Testament prophets served the Jews and the Gentiles in the first century who read their scriptures, but also beyond into the 21st century who continue to read the Old Testament prophet scriptures in the Old Testament. Do you see it there? Verse 10. As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Watch now. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, serving. They were not serving themselves, but you, the first readers of First Peter, and us, the secondary readers of First Peter, those Old Testament prophets were faithfully and at the risk of their lives prophesying Scripture in the Old Testament because they were serving us. If your friend, family member, co-worker, schoolmate is going to be saved, you will need to serve them. How that looks is probably as unique as the person you're seeking to reach with the gospel. You're going to need to serve them. The second way that your acquaintance, family member, loved one, schoolmate will be saved is by someone announcing the gospel to them. I'm all for a credible testimony of life, that we live in such a way in the community, in the neighborhood, in our workplace, where we transact. I'm all for our testimony saying a lot. I am. In some ways, we're the only Bible that a lost person will read until they read the real Bible. But don't relax, don't settle for your testimony being your only witness of the gospel to a lost person. I fail in my testimony from time to time, but the gospel never fails. And so we need to announce the gospel 
to the people we want to see saved. Romans 12, uh, 10, 12 to 15. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call upon him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? There it is, announcement. Whom they have not heard. And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they're sent? But just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, uh, good news of good things. You want to have beautiful feet? You don't need a pedicure. You want to have beautiful feet? Take the gospel to a lost person in humility and prayerful dependence on the Holy Spirit. Tell a lost person that Jesus loves them, has died in their place on the cross to pay for their sins, and has risen from the dead to prove their sins are forgiven. Is there anything keeping you from trusting Christ alone to be your Savior now? That gives you beautiful feet. The persons that you've identified in your mind that need Jesus Christ, they are going to be saved by review by someone serving them, second, by someone announcing the gospel to them, third, by someone preaching the gospel to them. How will they hear without a preacher? And now you're saying, you're the preacher. At the moment, I'm the preacher. But you're all preachers. In fact, you all get to preach to congregations that I will never get to preach to. The staff you work with, the schoolmates you study with, the neighbors you live beside, you all are preachers. And if you know enough to be saved, you know enough to preach. How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they're sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. The persons you're thinking about that you want to see saved over the Christmas season, when parties are going on, when musicals are being attended, while gifts are being exchanged, while Christmas carols are being sung, the persons that you want to see saved, they will be saved by the Holy Spirit saving them through Christ's finished work by someone serving them, by someone announcing the gospel to them, by someone preaching the gospel to them, and fourth, by someone being sent and then going to them. Some of us are just waiting to be sent. When God sends me to that person, I'll share the gospel. I've got news for you. We're all sent already. The Great Commission, in part, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. We are sent. We are sent. You don't have to wait to be sent. You're sent if you're a Christian. Jesus said in John 20, verse 21, So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. There, you're sent. Jesus sends us. Jesus sends you and me. How will someone be saved that we want to see saved over the Christmas season? By someone serving them, by someone announcing the gospel to them, by someone preaching the gospel to them, and by someone being sent and then going to them. You know, Jesus would never have come on his salvation mission to earth except the Father sent him. We will never 
preach the gospel or share the gospel and invite sinners to trust Christ for salvation, except we believe and understand that we've been sent. We've been sent. So has it occurred to you that you are that someone who should serve, that someone who should announce the gospel, that someone who should preach the gospel, and that someone who has been sent to go to people who need Christ as Savior? Has that occurred to you? May this Christmas season, may it occur to all of us. This time, even more so than Easter, in the land of the Bahamas, our country, this time, Christmas, you will have people who don't give any thought to Jesus Christ singing about him in Christmas carols. He's on their minds. We need to go to these people and explain the way of salvation and ask them to trust Christ. May our assembly grow by conversion growth. Transfer growth is one thing, but conversion growth is what pleases the heart of God. So I just wonder, in light of all this, what would have happened if the Old Testament prophets did not make careful search and inquiry? What would have happened? We wouldn't have the Old Testament in large. I wonder just what would have happened if the Old Testament prophets had refused to serve all those who lived after their inspired writings, including us 21st century readers of 1 Peter. I wonder what would have happened. And I wonder what would have happened if the long chain of gospel witnesses that contributed to each of our salvation had a weak link in the chain, a Christian who didn't bother to or even try to lead a lost person to Christ for salvation. I wonder what would have happened. Would you be sitting here? If someone in that long chain of gospel witnesses lay down on the job, would you be saved? I just wonder. I just wonder what would have happened if the go- in the gospel announcement chain, if there was a silent link in the chain. I'm too busy. He's beyond salvation. He's a lost cause. I live my faith. I don't speak my faith. I just wonder what would have happened if in the gospel announcement chain, there had been a silent link or two And I just wonder what would have happened if one or more of the preachers had gotten too scared to preach the gospel. The day is coming in Canada. The day is coming in Canada when preachers who preach the Bible are going to be in jail. It happened, almost happened in the 90s. Four votes short in the House of Commons that the Bible was going to be deemed as hate literature. Four votes in the House of Commons. And if the Bible were to have been deemed hate literature in Canada, then a Canadian preacher in a Canadian church who is preaching what the Bible says about homosexuality or incest or other sin would be in jail. I told the church I pastored in southern Ontario, if that day comes before the vote, if that day comes, I'm going to keep preaching the Bible. And when they throw me in jail, then one of our elders will preach the Bible till they throw him in jail. And after he's in jail with me, the third elder will preach the Bible until he's in jail. And when all of the elders are in jail because of preaching the Bible, then the deacons will start. Not far-fetched. What would have happened 
If one or more preachers had gotten too scared to preach the gospel, I just wonder. We've seen four points so far, the last of which being accepting believers and understood gospel. And to understand the gospel is to understand that you've been sent with the gospel. Let's review. Point one, rejoicing by believers, an unseen savior. Number two, obtaining by believers an unending pardon. Number three, prophesying by prophets an unlikely grace. And number four, accepting by believers an understood gospel. Will you please notice that all four of those perspectives are from the inside of salvation in Christ, looking beyond our sufferings, looking beyond our trials, looking beyond our pressures, looking beyond our distresses at God. Now, the last part of the passage does not give the perspective or the viewpoint from being within salvation in Christ, but the viewpoint and the point of view of being outside of salvation. Not lost people, but angels. Not fallen angels, they're demons, but good angels. And the point, the fifth and final point this morning, is longing by angels and unoffered salvation. Longing by angels and unoffered salvation. Do you see it there with me in verse 12, last part of the verse? It was revealed to them, the Old Testament prophets, that they were not serving themselves but you, the readers of First Peter, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now watch. Things into which angels long to look. Things into which angels long to look. That's an amazing concept, incredible body of Christ. That the good angels, the angels which remained loyal to God when Lucifer rebelled against God in pride, those good angels wish that they could be saved like we are, but they can't. Born-again believer, these angels actually look down upon earth at you and me, and they long for the salvation that we enjoy. These good angels intensely desire the salvation which we possess. Here in verse 12 of 1 Peter 1, the Greek word which is translated long Things into which angels long to look. The Greek word which is translated long is used in Matthew 5, 28 for lust. It's used in the parable of the prodigal son in the sense which the runaway son's intense desire even to eat food that was offered to pigs because he was that hungry. The same Greek word translated long in 1 Peter 1.12 found in John 25 and 11. The same Greek word was used for John and Mary Magdalene stooping down to look into Jesus' empty tomb. When you put it all together, the idea behind this particular Greek word for longing, which is found here in 1 Peter 1.12, is extreme, intense longing to have or to see something. Intense, extreme longing to have or to see something. That's what the angels experience. So think of it. Typically, often, 
regularly? The angels who are the loyal messengers of God Almighty are stooping down from their heaven-directed, God-directed righteous activities in order to admire, to wonder at, to get a better view of, to long for our salvation. It's like the angels in the heavenly realms who are doing God's bidding 100%, 100% of the time, they look down at planet Earth and they say, look, Calvary Bible Church, look how they love God. Look how they serve God. Look how they love each other. Look how they're being conformed to the image of Christ. Look at how they're to reach the world with the gospel. Look, look. Mind-boggling. This being the case, that the angels are looking down the parapet that, that divides heaven and earth. This being the case, I ask, are you properly showing the stooping down angels why God's salvation is so excellent? Are you living in such a way that the watching angels wish that they were redeemed humans? Are you making those longing angels long even more for new life in Christ? Are you giving those observing angels an accurate picture of what a committed Christian looks like? After all, those angels on the outside of salvation looking down on saved human beings. Because angels can't repent. Only we can. Angels can't believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. Only we can. Angels can't be adopted into God's family. Only we can. Angels can't be united with Christ in death, burial, and resurrection. Only we can. Angels can't grow in grace and be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Only we can. Angels can't be made new and righteous. Only we can. Angels aren't given spiritual gifts. Only we are. Angels can't be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Only we can. Angels aren't prayed for by Jesus Christ. Only we are. Angels aren't prayed for by the Holy Spirit. Only we are. Angels weren't redeemed by Christ's blood. Only we were. You get the point. Our salvation is worth longing for by those angels. Our salvation is worth longing for by those angels who observe our everyday activities. And so the sermon's title is on the inside looking beyond, on the outside looking down on the inside of salvation, looking beyond the vicissitudes, the trials, the difficulties, the pains, the pressures, the distresses. On the inside of salvation, looking beyond those things. And those on the outside of our salvation, the angels loyal to God, doing his bidding in the heavenly realms, are looking down on us. Amazing. And so the five points of this sermon, rejoicing by believers an unseen Savior, obtaining by believers an unending pardon, 
prophesying by prophets an unlikely grace, accepting by believers an understood gospel, longing by angels an unoffered salvation. You know, really, when it comes down to it, the only show in town in the universe is the salvation of sinners. Actually, when it distills and boils down, the melody of the music of human history is the salvation of sinners. And salvation is the great divide. You are either in Christ's salvation or you are out of it. Where are you? Are you inside Christ's salvation or are you outside of it? It's the great divide. If you don't know, then probably you're not in Christ's salvation. The way you could come into Christ's salvation, which is the great divide of human history and personal history, is to recognize that you are a sinner who deserves hell. But to equally recognize that God loves you as a sinner, has sent his only son to die in your place, his name is Jesus, to shed his blood on the cross to wash you clean from sin, and has risen from the dead to prove your sins are paid for in full. When a person believes those things and transfers their complete trust to the finished work of Christ, that person comes into God's salvation. You don't have to remain outside of God's salvation. You can come into God's salvation by believing on Christ, understanding who you are, a sinner, who he is, the substitutionary atoning Savior, and put your full trust in Christ in him. Would you do that? Don't remain on the outside. Would you come into this wonderful salvation that the angels long to be a part of? Would you come in and trust Christ alone for salvation? Now let me turn to my brothers and sisters in Christ. We know we're inside God's marvelous salvation. We understand that the angels are watching us live out our redeemed lives, being saved individuals. We understand that. Do we share the gospel? Do we pray to share the gospel? What would happen if each one of us on a Sunday, every Lord's Day, asked the Lord on our knees in prayer for an opportunity to share the gospel the next week? You could do that today. You could get on your knees and you could ask the Lord for an opportunity to share the gospel this week. Do you know what I found in my own experience? And I fall down with respect to evangelism often. But what I have found in my experience is if I make that a matter of prayer, that I'd have the opportunity to share the gospel in the coming week, that I always get more than one opportunity. Test it. Check it out. Today's message from 1 Peter 1, 8 through 12 is very plain. On the inside looking beyond and on the outside looking down. Please pray with me. Lord, we would pray this morning for any who are on the outside of salvation that they would come by faith into Christ and into his salvation. We would pray for ourselves, Lord, who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, that we would not go mute, that we would not become disinterested in evangelism, that we would not become self-absorbed in a holy huddle with only Christians in our lives. Rather, Lord, may we put on a sanctified show for the angels who watch. May we put on a determined display 
of what it means to be a committed Christian so the angels would understand. May we be about an arresting advertisement for salvation by grace through faith in Christ. Lord, thank you that we can be part of the cause that will never fail, part of the project that will always win. Thank you that you've said, Lord Jesus, that you will build the church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Help us to be willing participants, excited teammates with the Holy Spirit in the working of heaven's business on earth, a a business centered in evangelism and disciple-making. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen.